Wow, thank you so much. Please be seated. It's so good to be here. Good morning, Mavuno South. I am so glad to be here. Uh, um, yeah, uh, for those who have joined Mavuno recently, you might not know, but Mavuno actually began in this area. And so as a, as a very young man, I'm a young man, but that time I was a very young man. Uh, we came here and uh, were looking for a place to start a church. And this is where God called us. So this is actually the birthplace of Mavuno Church. Uh, and it's always a joy for me. I feel like I'm home when I'm in South Sea. By the way, I even went to primary school in South Sea. Uh, South B, actually. I went to, um, what's it called? Nairobi South, just behind Melili Hotel. So I, I, I grew up in this area. My dad actually worked at uh, KIMC. And so uh, um, I used to go there for lunch from school and then go back. Uh, so I, I really know this area. Like, I feel like this is, this is home for me uh, in, in a very significant way. But I also think it's a very significant spiritual area. Uh, I think this place is a very spiritual area. I think that there's something in this area that is a very spiritual, spiritually significant. Uh, and I think it's a very hotly contested area. Uh, those who know, know. And so I, I don't take it for granted that God has raised this church in the heartland of South Sea. I really believe that God wants to do some amazing, amazing things. I'm so excited to see the young uh, students who are serving here. Uh, boy, I mean, for me, I think when I saw them, I, I just saw this hall full of students. Uh, because I really believe God wants to use young people. Um, okay, I'm not, even you are young. It's okay. I'm, don't feel ignored. <laughs> But I think that God really gets excited when he sees people in their teens, in their 20s, uh, who are excited about him. And uh, I began to serve God when I was as young as these guys. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do through you as you just use your gifts, serve him, and trust him to just allow you to bless the schools that you're part of. So it's, it's a joy for me to be here. And uh, we're going through a series, so I wanted to just uh, continue where Pastor Benson left off, so I'm not going to invent anything. Uh, I'll just continue with where Pastor... Uh, basically, in November, um, in Mavuno, what we typically do is we do a series that kind of talks a bit about the heart of who we are as a church, who God has called us, what God has called us to do, who he's called us to be. So I'm going to just continue with where Pastor Benson left off. But the first thing I want to ask is, could you turn to your neighbor and give them your best smile ever? Like, just... Because I'm getting scared being over here. So I'm wondering how your neighbor is feeling and they're just next to you. You're looking so serious, you know. So just give them a smile. Tell them it's okay. I don't bite. I'm a nice person. Relax. If I'm the one who is scaring you and making you look like that, it's okay. <laughs> I'm a nice person, by the way. Uh, it's important for you to know that your neighbor doesn't bite. Uh, if you're feeling stressed about them, let me just assure you, you're in a good place. This is a safe place. Amen. And I know the people in the house, the members of this church, they know that. Can we give a big shout? If you love being part of this church... Let's just give a big shout. This is Mavuno South. Uh, it's such a joy to be here. And for those of you who've just started coming, we're really delighted that you're part of this family. Uh, the, the series we're talking about is called The Invitation. And it's something that is really close to my heart because I, I believe that Jesus invites us. That he wants us to live a life of influence and he invites us into that life. When I grew up, I didn't know that. I thought God wants me to have fire insurance. He wants me to say a prayer, uh, forgive my sins, and then wait for the bus to come and take me to heaven one day. It's like th that way I don't go to hell. I thought that salvation was about fire insurance. I didn't realize that the most influential person in the world 
actually expects his disciples, the people who follow him, to be more influential than him. So we're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about the person who, out of the 8 billion people on the planet, maybe half of those claim to follow that person. We're talking about the person who has been talked about more than anybody else, uh, who has more influence than almost any government, in fact, than any government, than any king who ever lived. And then we're looking at the startling fact that he actually wanted his disciples to have more influence than he does. And I totally believe Jesus wants me to do greater things than what Jesus did. Look at your neighbor. Do they look like they actually believe that about their lives? Because some of them are looking very doubtful this morning. Like, really? But that's what Jesus wants of us. He wants us to live an influential life. And last week we talked about the fact that the first place, the, the first invitation he gives us is an invitation to faith. Because you will never know your purpose until you know the one who made you for purpose. That's, that was my biggest discovery, by the way. I used to think that this Christianity thing was a religion thing. I grew up in a church family, and I grew up going to church. So I thought that what you do is you make a religious thing, a religious confession, that sort of secures you religiously. I didn't realize, and, and I, I know some of you might be smart like me. Don't worry, it's a fireworks. Uh, even us, we have our own fireworks in the house. Amen. The fireworks of the Word of God. So I used to believe, by the way, I don't know if any of you had a plan like me. I used to think, eh? One day, when I'm old, I've lived life fully. Like I've tasted every nightclub that there is in this world. I've enjoyed life. Are you, are you with me? I've enjoyed life fully. Then I'm in a car and I'm in my like, those days I used to think people in their 80s must be about to die. So when I'm in my 80s, now I'm a bit closer, I don't think 80s old by the way. When I'm in my 80s, and I'm just about to head, and then I see those headlights coming off the truck that's about to hit my car. At that point, I'll say, Jesus, save me! And then I'll go to heaven. Like, I'd planned this thing. It was like my escape clause. Because I knew the Bible said, even the thief on the cross, when he confessed before Jesus, he went to heaven. So, any sharp guys like me who had a plan like that? Yeah, yeah it's like, like why, 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 why torture yourself living this Christian life? Why don't you just um, live life the way you want and then one day just before you die, then you can actually call out, get saved and go to heaven. I'd, I'd actually thought that was a plan. Then I realized, my goodness, I was denying myself of purpose. You know, you can actually live your whole life on earth and just exist through it. You can be a person who never knows why you were created. That's the saddest thing. Have you ever seen a BMW in South Sea? Have you seen a BMW in South Sea? I'm just, I'm just asking. You've seen people of South Sea. See what kind of BMW? You've seen a BMW. Let me explain to you. That's the saddest thing you'll ever see. A BMW in South Sea. It looks nice when you see it here. But what you don't understand, that BMW was not built for potholes. And floods. The place it comes from, there are some roads called Autobahn. In the autobahn, there is no speed limit. And the day I discovered this, one of my friends was driving me on the autobahn. Now I have to tell you I've gone to places. How will you know that I go to places? If I don't tell you, I know places like this. So I was on the autobahn with my friend. We're driving the fastest I've ever driven in my whole life. 180 kilometers. I was shaking. Like, I was like, I've never gone this fast. I've never gone this fast. We're in a, we're in a Volkswagen Kombi. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Wow, you can go this fast. And then I looked in the rear view mirror. For some reason, I just looked. And there was like a black dot. I don't know what it was. I couldn't tell what it was. 
but the dot was growing steadily bigger. Then I just heard, that was a BMW. That's what that car was created for. It's a very sad thing to see a BMW in South Sea. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You should be seeing one, you cry. You say, it is living below its potential. It was made for more. And now here it is ne negotiating floods and potholes and being parked. That's not what the car was. Am I talking to somebody? Yeah, if you buy it, take it where it's supposed to. Anyway, okay, sorry. Some of you might have a BMW. <laughs> but you know, some of us are BMWs in South Sea. Because you are made for more. God created you to soar. He created you to have impact. He created you to change nations. But we're so content living small lives. And that's the life I was content to live. A small life. Waiting for the day I die and go to heaven. That's a waste of a life. And so last week we learned the fact that Jesus' first invitation is an invitation to faith. Because when you understand who he is, you understand what he made you for. Then you can live for the thing that he created you for. Salvation is not this religious trip. Salvation is actually an invitation into your purpose. So today we want to talk about the second invitation. Because this is all, it's all the journey of influence that God created us for. The second invitation that Jesus invites us to. But before I talk about that one, let me ask you a question. If you're in a serious crisis, I'm not talking about small, small things. I'm talking about serious crisis. I'm, I, have you ever been in a serious crisis? You lost your job, you fell sick, somebody, something happened, a crisis, a tragedy in your family. You're in a serious crisis and you've just discovered. Who's that one person you know, if you call them, they will stop what they're doing and they will show up for you right there. Come on, talk to your neighbor. That one person. If you're in a serious crisis, and don't lie to them and tell them it's them if it's not them, by the way. Just who is the person you know? Other people will, will take, but this one will show up. Who's that one person that you know? This person will show up. They'll stop everything they're doing, and they'll show up. This one cannot. They will show up when I call. Who's that person? You're in a serious crisis. Who's that person? And then let your neighbor also tell you who that person is. The one person who would show up. You know everybody else will, will think, but this one will show up. This one will show up for me. Okay, how many people said a parent? How many people said a parent? All right. Wow, okay. There's quite a few people who they know. My dad, my mom would show up. If, if the whole world forsakes me, my parent would be there. All right. How many people said a spouse? Three people. Oh, no, there are more. <laughs> and by the way, if you're sitting next to your spouse, I hope your hand is up because you're being very politically incorrect right now. Let me just warn you. I, want, I don't want to be in your house when you go home and you didn't put up your hand. How many people said uh, your pastor? Huh? If it was a spiritual crisis, not money, the things your pastor doesn't have. Sawa. Ah, yeah, sawa. To meskia passes, eh? How many people said a friend? Somebody maybe who's your buddy? Like, let me see. Friends? All right. Some people say the name of a friend. Now, it's very interesting. I'm going to come back to this question because it's a very uh, important question for us in life. But like I said, Jesus' first invitation is an invitation to faith. But his second invitation 
the invitation that is guaranteed to help you become the influencer God created you to do, to, to be, to do the things that even Jesus said he couldn't do, he didn't do. The things that he said, you will do greater things than me. The second invitation is the invitation to family. The invitation to family. So I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, God's word. And this whole month, actually the series is based on Mark, the book of Mark. The gospel of Mark, which is a biography, a story about Jesus' life. Mark chapter 3 verse 13 to 19. And if we read together, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. Uh, he appointed 12. So there are, there are many people who come to him, but he appoints 12 particular ones. That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. And then it says, these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he, he gave the names Boanages, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So this is the word of God. And last week we looked at how Jesus wanted to start a revolution. He came to earth. He didn't come to be a nice person. He came to start a revolution. A revolution that would change the entire world. A, re a revolution that would have passionate radical followers uh, who would spread God's love and influence across the world. And the first thing he does is he starts to think about the squad, the people who will be around him as he does this mission. And in, if you read the same story we just read in the book of Luke, because Luke also gives us his own perspective. By the way, when you read the Bible, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And those four are actually the same story from four different perspectives. So it's not a repeat. It's how four people saw the same story. And all of them have their own take and their own angle. So in Luke, the, the book of Luke tells us something Mark doesn't tell us. He tells us that Jesus spent the whole night praying before he called these people to come and be with him. Now, a whole night, that's a long time. How many of you have ever spent a whole night praying? I know there must be one or two. All right, there's a few. That means the rest of you have never been that desperate, by the way. The ones whose hands went up are the ones who have my issues in this. They're like, what? Me, I need God. <laughs> you guys haven't reached there yet. So, so Jesus spends a whole night praying about this thing. Why does he spend a whole night? I don't know. I mean, it must be like things were, by the time you're spending a night, things are thick, you know. It's like, this is not just a prayer. It's like, I need to pray. It's like prayer, you know. It's like a whole night of prayer. And maybe Jesus had a feeling who he was about to call him. I don't know. Maybe he, he had an issue. He kind of figured out. He'd been hanging out with these guys a bit. He knew Peter and he knew how sanguines. Any sanguines in the house? Sang Peter was a sanguine. And sanguines, you know how they just have mudomobagi. I mean, it's just like the, they talk before they think. And they just get into trouble all the time because they just talk, talk. Peter was like that. He just talks. And Jesus was like, what? This is the one I'm going to call. Maybe he was really praying about the issues he was going to face with this young man called Peter. Maybe he was thinking about the, the choleric John and his, his brother uh, 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 James and John. And he's just, in fact, he calls them sons of thunder. Cholerics can be sons of thunder. Any cholerics in the house? They walk over people. I mean, these boys, they're with Jesus, and then some people don't believe in Jesus. They say, Jesus, so we just call lightning, we strike them down. It's like, I mean, it's like their, their solution is simple. Just strike them down. That's how cholerics think, by the way. And Jesus is like, what? These ones, how will they change? By the way, don't worry about these guys. We need to tell them. There are some serious things going on here. 
Uh, yeah, please tell them to, that we're, we're in the service here. So, so there's this guy called uh, James who's a choleric and Jesus is probably thinking, how am I going to deal with him? Uh, he's worried about him. He's probably thinking about the males on the team. Any melancholics in the house? There's a guy called Matthew. Matthew is like a detail. Males are those guys who overthink everything. They have detail for everything. They get irritated by every... Okay, sorry. My wife is a male, so let me not say that part. Uh, but they're beautiful people, by the way. Amen. Uh, males in the house. And Jesus is like, what am I going to do with this? And then Jesus even has uh, somebody called Judas. Like he even knows this. There's even one of these guys who's probably going to end up betraying me. And Jesus calls these people anyway. I think he takes a whole night maybe because he knows how important the role is. And then he knows how ordinary these people are and how they are going to need God to do this. And you know, it's very interesting that after he prays for a whole night, he calls them. And then the scripture tells us why he calls them. What we read, it says he calls them for two reasons. That they might be with him. That's the first reason. They might be with him. And then the second reason, that they might, he might send them out to go and to preach and to cast out demons. The first one is that they might be with him. They might be part of his family. He was looking for a family. So it's not about what they did. The first reason he called them was not about what they were going to do. It's about just people to be with. And then secondly, is that he might send them out. People to share the mission. Now, you know, if I was those, there in those days, I'd have told Jesus, you know, you want to change the world, Jesus. Let me just give you some help. You know me, I'm a leader. Let me just give you, at least I know how humans work and I've been leading for a while. I can tell you, the way you do this thing is you don't start with... Families are very... Families have issues. Anybody who comes from a family that doesn't have issues? We should make you the pastor of this church, by the way. All, all families have issues. I, I wouldn't start a family if I want to change the world. I personally would think of like a a class, a leadership class, transformational leadership, 36 weeks degree for, for guys who want to change the world, my master class. For guys like this, I would teach them like some key management concepts. You know, how do you, how do, you do strategic planning? I mean, these are fishermen, by the way, you're talking about. Eh? How, how are they ever going to change the world? You need to teach them strategic planning. Teach them how to have, have, have a long-term future uh, projections. Make, teach them how to do those things. Teach them how to have relational capacity. I mean, these guys are going to be the ones you're leaving in charge of this enterprise. And they're going to be the ones dealing in many interesting things. Teach them even how to talk to people. You know, I mean, how does a fisherman go and represent you uh, across the world? You have to teach them some serious, uh, even how to sit down, table man, like a class for that. That would be amazing, you know. And then after that, I would also teach them, I'd get some of the leading rabbis. Some of the leading leaders who are great leaders, you know, the guys, the Elon Musk's of the time to come and to teach them, you know, do, do some serious master classes for them. That's how I do it, by the way. If I was trying to raise some serious leaders, I would, I would do a degree like Harvard, you know, and make sure that they get the best leaders, the best teachers to come and do it. I'll do immersive courses. I mean, some of the things Jesus was teaching, they need to do courses. I mean, things like water walking, miracle walking. Fish multiplying. I mean, there has to be a class about that. Mot how huh? Which one? School of prophecy. Eish. You have to create... Which one? Demon chasing. Yeah. You have to create some serious classes for people so that by the time they're done, they're qualified. 
I mean, how will people know they are qualified? And then I would do, because I was Jesus, if I was advising Jesus, I'd say, you need to do mixture of online and, 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 and in person. And if, you, if there's no online at that time, because you're Jesus, invent it anyway. Invent the internet. Then now do online. So that guys can actually be able to immerse globally. They can have global leaders, Alexander the Great. People, serious people talking to them. And then this thing can go viral. Amen. Now you're understanding what I'm talking about. Even you, I can see we can do consultancy for you, for Jesus with you. Eh? This is how we do it. This is how we change the world. We raise some serious people. By the way, when they come to the class, you have to insist. They have to bring their clay tablets. I guess those days they must be clay. And they have to have videos on. Sorry, inside joke. Uh, uh, and be unmuted, isn't it? So, and, and anyway, who knows? They might even fall asleep at 4.30. So they have to have their videos on. So the people who know, they know. Tell your neighbor, if you don't know, you don't know. So, 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 so if I was Jesus, by the way, this is how I'd be doing it. I'd be like serious, serious uh, class. And guys graduate and it's like they're the top league, the Ivy League of the time. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus raises a family. He raises a family. And you know, it's interesting because the first thing he does is he looks for people just to hang out. He's looking for boys, for friends, just to be with him. I mean, that's such a crazy plan. From that time on, he spends 80% of his time. You have three years to change the world. And 80% of your time, you hang out with these guys. They just eat food together. They visit each other's houses. They attend weddings and change what time to rain in the weddings. They share life. They get to know each other deeply. They eat, they travel. They see uh, different parts of the country. They celebrate each other's strengths. They challenge each other's weaknesses. They love each other. They serve each other. That's what they do. The majority of the time, they're just hanging out with Jesus, learning from him. And when Jesus is done with the three years with them, he says, it is finished. My work is done. I'm like, who does it that way? Like, who, who does it that way? You're changing, you have three years to change the world. And you spend time just hanging out and building a family. You know, here's the thing I want to share. Is that Jesus knew this very amazing truth. By the way, it's a truth I didn't know for a long time. And it's a very powerful truth. That to accomplish a world-changing revolution, no one can accomplish it alone. You will never be great alone. You need a family. You need a spiritual family. I know you look great. Look at your neighbors. See, they look great. Ah, they look like they're going to change things. They're a world shaker. They look like they have potential. But here's the thing I want you to understand. You will never be great alone. You need a family around you. And it's interesting because 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. Jesus is still doing it the same way. Jesus is still raising spiritual families. He's looking for unqualified, broken people, inviting them into his family. I love the, ch the fact that that's what church is meant to be. Church is not meant to be a place for saints uh, sinless people to come and parade how holy they are. Church is meant to be a place of broken people, real people with real issues coming to be fixed by a real God. That's what church is meant to be. And 2,000 years later, Jesus is still calling us to come into this place, become a spiritual family, and change the world together. So here's a thought. Here's a thing that God has been teaching me through this sermon. Is that God prepares you for influence by putting you in a spiritual family. God prepares you for influence by putting you in a spiritual family. Let me say this. If, I for, if you forget everything else I preach today, I want you to remember this phrase. God prepares you for influence 
by putting you in a spiritual family. Could you say that to your neighbor for me, please? God prepares you for influence by putting you in a spiritual family. Family is the key that will unlock your influence. And it's a powerful, powerful key. You know, here's the thing I've come to understand, and this has been a, 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 an understanding over time. The predominant model of church we have today is actually borrowed from the West, and specifically from the U.S. And it's a model of church that has influenced all the churches we've gone to and all the churches we've grown up in, most of our churches rather. And it, see, it's a, it sees the church as a corporation or as a company. And that's why in many churches, you'll find that the role of the pastor is of a CEO. That's what the church sees the role of the pastor. By the way, the older churches don't think like that. Because churches, some of you who grew up in the Anglican church, let me just see Anglican church, any, any fellow, okay, people like me, any people who grew up Catholic church, yeah, yeah, there are quite a few. Uh, the, the older churches, the model that they saw church was not the corporation. They saw church as a monarchy. Because they were built in times when the government of the day was kingship. And so you're going to find that there's a pope or there's an archbishop who operates like a king, has authority that way. And then you're going to find that there are some cardinals or bishops around that person who have authority like the king had nobles. So basically the, the church modeled itself in the system of the world, in the systems that they understood. And I think there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible doesn't tell us necessarily how we should have a church government. In our time, the church has modeled itself as a corporation, more modern churches, where the pastor is like a CEO and so makes decisions for the church, works with a staff team who are like the management of the church, has a board of elders who work like any board of any corporation and keep some governance going, and then has members who are like the shareholders or the customers of the corporation. And that's the way the church nowadays tends to operate. And it's the job of the company to put on a show every weekend for its customers. And every weekend there's a time when they come to receive services. Ooh. Even the word we use for our gathering is service. Because I come to receive service. I remember when I was a young pastor, uh, there was a new person in the church. And they, she came up to me and she said, I, I don't like the church. I don't like the church. There's something wrong. And I said, what, what happened? And she said, the people in your, in your children's church, they don't understand customer service. How do, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. But it struck me, for her church is a place of service. I come to be served. Uh, and I expect customer service. Because that's how we see the church, as a corporation. But you know, it's actually, that's actually a broken and not a biblical expression of the church. Because no one was meant to, to live through the week. Jesus did not intend for us to live through the week and then come to church on Sunday to receive services. Uh, when, you when you become a consumer, when you become a shareholder, when you become a customer, then your job is to think about, I didn't like the music today. church how i can see some people laughing because maybe you already thought which pastor is this who didn't even talk in isha surely 
how, how are pastors nowadays? And I mean, you come to church because it's like, yeah, it's like I want services and I expect a certain level of quality of service. That's how we start to operate when church is meant to. But God's intention was never for the church as a congregation. God's intention was that the church is a family. But you show up in your family, by the way, there are all kinds of poor people. Is that, is that uncle who comes and eats with his mouth open? And then has been like that since you guys were poor kids. And he's not part of our family, you know. You're not there to teach his customer service. That's how he eats. And that's how he always eats. Is that auntie who comes and just complains and talks in mother tongue even though the young people don't understand mother tongue? And he sees to talk to them and they just look at her and they're bored. And all of you look at her like seriously and But that's the way she is. And you just learn to love each other the way you are. With your issues, with your eccentricities. The church was not meant to be a corporation. The church was meant to be a family. And the church is not the place you go to. The church is the people you belong to. That we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the people of God. And this is how the scripture is. That the church is, is a family. It's a people. Nowadays it's very easy to hear people saying, Oh, we are going to church. And that's just our language. It's, there's nothing wrong. It's the way we, we say it. But we should never mistake the language and the reality. You don't go to church. You are the church. It's very easy to hear people ask you, Pastor M, what is the church saying about this? Because they want to hear what the pastor is saying about it. The pastor is not the church. We are the church. We are the people of God. This is how the scripture says it. And Paul says, I mean, there are very many scriptures when, when the, in the Bible when it talks about the church as a family. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 2.19. And he says, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's, come on, say it with me, family. You're members of God's family. That's what God has created us to be, members of a family. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about his spiritual family. He says in Matthew 12, 48, he says, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. He's like the people around me in this room. This is my family. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like you guys are my family. That's who family is in God's eyes. There's nothing wrong with your biological family. I'll talk about that in a second. But the, this is also a family to God. You're going to find many, many scriptures uh, in the Bible. Uh, when, when people talk, I mean, Paul says to Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. That's the kind of relationships you're meant to have with each other. That the older men are fathers. You relate to them as fathers. Younger women as daughters, as sis younger sisters. That the Bible wants our relationships to be as a family. Uh, I'm going to skip a bit and just say this, that, you know, God created us for a significant purpose. All of us were created for purpose. Uh, none of us was created to live a random life. And by the way, that is one of the core, fo core foundational convictions that underpins Mavuno, uh, that none of us was created to just float through life, that there's a purpose for every single one of us. And since your purpose is so important, and God knew your purpose is so important, there are certain decisions he did not leave up to you. You know, there are things that you, should have, you could have had an input into. But God, because he knew how important your purpose was and the thing he had prepared in advance for you to do, because the Bible says your purpose was made in advance, God put some certain decisions in your life and he prefixed them for you. You didn't have a choice. For example, 
You didn't have a choice what race you were born as. When I look around this room, I see people of various shades of brown. <laughs> we have various shades. Some of us are a little more yellow than others. Some of us are a little more black. But that's, you didn't choose, by the way. God actually is the one who decided which shade you'd come out of your mother's stomach as and decided which race you are. Your race is not an accident. There's a purpose why God made you African. There's a reason. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a mistake. It has to do with your purpose. None of us chose our birthplace. Some of you are born in posh hospitals. Some of you are not. It's just the way God ordained it. And there is no mistake in where you were born. Wherever you were born, whatever the name of that village, it is, a, it is completely attached to your purpose. Some of you, I mean, all of us have a different height. None of us chose our height. Some of you have very, very significant heights. Like for me and my brother, you can't even tell we are brothers. It's like he stole, he misappropriated, he, he, he somehow took all the height in our family. Uh, sometimes I wonder how God is so unfair. He makes my younger brother taller than me. Uh, but you know, it's interesting because some of us are tall, some of us are short, some of us are medium. You didn't choose. God is the one who chose that for you. None of us chose our gender. This is something that today has to be said because our young generation don't know this. Nobody can choose your gender. Don't listen to what they tell you in Hollywood. It's a lie. If you study science, you're going to find that you can only be chromosomally male or female. There's no in between. There has never been. There could be because of an accident of, uh, of, of, of genetics that somebody's born with organs that could belong to a different gender. But you know what? All you need to do is just do a chromosomal test and the chromosomes will tell you this one is male and this one is female. Uh, there's never been any difference in that. There's no, there's no five genders. There's no alphabet. All of us were created and all of us, it was preordained. We didn't have a choice. You take what you were given because it has to do with your purpose. And all of us were put in a nation and in a generation that we didn't choose. There are times I wish I was born when things were simpler and the cost of living was... <laughs> Have you ever talked to your parents and they tell you how much they used to pay for rent? And you think, why, was I, why am I the one who was born in this generation? Huh? And when the dollar CG used to be like 20 bob, and you're like, really? And you guys struggled. How? Like, put me in those days, I show you. You know, it's like, seriously? Like, why was I born in the times when... Things... But you know what? I didn't choose. God is the one who chose for me to be born in this for a reason. Because this is His purpose. And the last thing that you didn't choose, you didn't choose your parents and you didn't choose your family. No, none of us chose which family we were born in. Uh, maybe when, as, when you're younger, you'd admire other families and wish you were born in them. But the fact is, you, your family was pre-picked for you. Why? Because each family has an inheritance that will assist you in your purpose. There's something you're going to find in that family that God preordained that will help you in the purpose that God has for you. You know, when it's, it's interesting. I have kids who are now all young adults. And um, when they were growing up, my kids were very interesting. They never ever, I've never heard of them saying, I wonder whether we'll eat food tomorrow. None of them ever thought that. It was, by the way, it was not even in the realm of imagination that tomorrow there'll be no food in the fridge when they wake up. It, it just was. They never ever wondered, will I have uniform tomorrow? Some of you are nodding because your kids are like my kids. They never ever thought about that. It was just, of course I'll have uniform. I've outgrown my last one. 
Daddy, I need, my trousers are short. And they leave for you to fill in the blanks. Do something. You know, it's your job. It's not my job. They just know it's done. They never ever worried about those things. They never worried whether they'd have a roof over their head. This is all because of the family they were born into. And that's an inheritance that God has given them that they don't have to think about. It's interesting because some of you grew up the same way as my kids did. And you never worried about school. You never worried about food. It was preordained. It was, it was just there because of the family you were born in. Some of you, by the way, even from those families where when you, went to, when you got married, your parents came with a title deed. You know those parents who humbly hand over title. Some of you even keys of houses and cars were given. Have you ever gone to those weddings where you're like, seriously? Do you know how hard I had to work for my first car? And someone just being given a car like this. But it's not, I was not in that family. That's the family they came from. And because of the family, there are certain advantages they have, isn't it? They didn't choose to be born. They were just born. Now, some people grew up in extreme hardship. And some of you are here. You grew up without those, any of those privileges. You even worried about where food would come from. But you know what? You may not have a material inheritance from your biological family. But there's another inheritance you have. You have understood resilience. There's a certain ability that there's a certain understanding you have of the world that rich people don't have rich kids don't have there's a way that you've learned to survive in difficult times that some of the rich kids around you if they were put in those situations they die but for you you understand how to be resilient and tough in those that's part of the inheritance you may not look at it as a big thing but it's something that came to you because your purpose demanded it and god put you in that family because he knew the thing he wants you to do in the future is going to require you to be in that place so I want to just say, God puts you in your biological family for the sake of the inheritance. And that inheritance will help you achieve your purpose. But here's the thing I also want you to realize. Because your purpose is not just physical, it's also spiritual. God doesn't just place you in a physical family. He also places you in a spiritual family. God places you in a spiritual family. Why? Because you also need a spiritual inheritance. The things that you're going to need in the spirit that can only come from your spiritual family. I want to say this. Your life is too short for you to work for all the things you're going to need to achieve your purpose. There are certain things only the inheritance that you receive will help you get there. You know, it's interesting. I was not from those families that were given title deeds. Uh, I was not from those families that were given any advantages. But it's interesting, now as a parent, we're actually debating with my wife about when our kids get married. Should we give them, should we be those parents who have title deeds? You know, should we, like, like we're trying to think, can we give them a head start we didn't have? That's, by the way, they are not even, they don't even know the conversation we're having. It's not even concerning them. But it's us now as parents, that's, that's the role of parents, is to think about the inheritance of your children. And it's the same thing. That in the spiritual realm, there are certain things you're going to need for the sake of inheritance. So I want to say this. You didn't come to Mavuno South by coincidence. Just the same way you didn't choose the family you're born in. You actually didn't come to Mavuno South and choose it. We often think we chose it. You think, you know, I was on the internet and I, I, was, I live in South Sea. And I was looking for a convenient church during COVID and I found the church. That's, sometimes that's how we think. Or maybe one of my friends uh, 
I was wondering about something and they told me about their church and I said, okay, I'll come and visit. So we often think it's, it's me. It's me who found the church. I was shopping. I tried a few churches and then I found this one and somehow I got stuck there. Or I was visiting and they were doing a sermon series and that someone, am I talking to about somebody's story? It's like they were doing a sermon series and I liked the sermon series. I said, ah, let me finish the sermon series and then when it finishes, I can go back to my church and I'm here. And I've been stuck here. I've been still waiting for the sermon series to end for the last three years. Uh, I know many of this is, this could be the story for many ones of us because you thought you chose it. But here's what I want to tell you. You didn't choose Mavuno South to be your church. The Bible says that God is the one who drew you. John 6.44 It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them to me. God is the drawer. He's the one who draws you into this place. You know, it's very interesting. The Bible also says God puts the lonely in families. There's something about this family that when you came in, it resonated with something deep within you. And you landed here and you sat and you, something in you told you, this is my church. Or maybe it even took a few months. But at some point you reached where you said, you know what? I think this way I'll be coming to church. You thought you chose it. But God brought you here. Because he knew the purpose that he has for you will never be accomplished. Unless he puts you in the family that he shaped for you. To give you the inheritance. That you require. I wonder what that inheritance, what that purpose is. I look at some of you and I wonder what great things God has for you. Such great things that as he looked at all the churches in this area, he handpicked this particular one and he said, this couple, this is where they're going to achieve their purpose. This individual, this is where I want them to achieve the purpose that I have for them. And I want to just tell you, this is such a powerful thing. Many times people think of church as a place. Like I said, when you think of church as a place to, to, to receive service, you'll hear people say, you know what? For me, I, I kind of decide when I wake up which church to go to. Or, or you know what? I, I actually go to church online. I don't actually belong to a church. I, I just participate. Or I just follow Jesus and then I do church when I can online. And I keep saying, it's because you don't understand. You are built for a family. And you will never become everything God wants you to be unless you're part of a family, that God prepares you for the influence he made you for by putting you in a family. By the way, some of you, I know your stories. I know how far God has brought you. Uh, June and Ranja, I mean, we've been in this church for a long time. I've seen God do incredible things through you guys. I, see, I, I think you got married here at Mavono Church. And I remember marrying you guys. And I remember even just how, as young people, Discover, doing Mizizi, discovering your purpose, beginning to become influencers. I remember Ranja starting to talk about politics. It looked like such a long, far off thing. And then to actually see him now vying for a seat as a politician. And then to see him start mentoring the next generation of politicians in our country. And it's like, God knew there's a purpose he had for this man. And he knew, I want to place him in the family that will help him achieve this purpose. And I, can, I could share that story for many different ones of you in this room. That God foresaw, he looked at what you had and he's like, this person, I need to put them in this family because this is the place that there's an inheritance for them. God prepares you for influence by putting you in a family. Oh, come on, have you had, have you had me today? 
By the way, I'm trying to repeat that so that if you forget anything else, you just remember that. God prepares you for influence by putting you in a family. And you're not in Mavuno South by mistake. It's not a coincidence that you're here. There's a reason you're here. Some of you, by the way, you've even tried to leave. And you've gone and sat somewhere else and then you just felt, ah, ah, ah. This is my church. Like, this is where I belong. This is my home. This is a place I'm wired for. This is what resonates, the frequency that resonates in my spirit. That God prepares you for influence by putting you in family. And that's why you can't afford to be a bystander here at Mavun Church. You really need to become a part of what we call our discipleship groups. Our discipleship groups are the, I'd call them maybe like the nuclear families. I don't know if they're the nuclear families. We're a big extended family when we meet on Sundays. But they're the little nuclear families. They're the places where they, there's a closer sense of kinship. They belong. They, they do life together. Just like Jesus did life with his disciples. They do life together. Uh, discipleship families are those places where uh, we, we, we engage together. We learn God's word together. We are shaped to become everything that God wants us to be. They're not just support groups. They are places to equip us for influence. By the time Jesus was done with the support group, these guys were world changers. And I believe that, you know, it's very easy for you to, to, to not understand that the reason you're here is for God to equip you to become a world changer. And that's exactly what these groups are supposed to be. Listen, a family, a family always grows. And one of the things that we want in our discipleship groups, by the way, we, we, we actually went through a transition because as we grew in our understanding, we had what we call life groups. How many people remember life groups? And, and life groups were fun. But one of the things that as we began to understand how, how family is meant to work, we realized that a family that doesn't multiply is actually a dysfunctional family. If you can imagine a father who has sons and daughters, like, I, like me, and then I sit with my three children and I tell them, I never want you to leave this house. You will never marry anyone. This fellowship we have here with your mother and the three of you, this should last forever. At that point, they should call a, psych a psychologist for me, isn't it? That's madness. You want, your, you want the family to expand. And my dad, some of you know that my dad passed on uh, just a few months ago, a couple of months ago. But I can tell you his greatest joy was when I would show up with my wife and our children. And then my brother would show up with his wife and children. And my sister would show up with her husband and their children. And he's surrounded by the three that, or the four that he had initially. But now the family has expanded. Ah, as a parent, that's the greatest joy you can ever have, by the way, is to see the expansion of your family, to see your own children leading their families. And that's how discipleship groups work. That when you come into a discipleship group, the idea is that you will also be equipped to lead your own group. Because that's how we, we become healthy as Christians. We have our own families. And your group will start its own group. And those groups will still be related because they are part of the same group. But now the family is expanding. And every one of us was created by God to disciple other people. That's what the scripture tells us. So I don't know if you've ever seen yourself as a leader of others. Maybe you've always thought, um, I, I just want to be led. I just want to be blessed. But I want to tell you, this is not how God grows your influence. He wants you to become an influencer. He wants you to be a leader of others. And so, Father, I thank you. I just bless you, Lord, because this word is exactly what you want people to hear today. I don't know why I sense right now that even as I preach, 
that Lord, there's someone who really needs to hear this word today. And that there's something you need to just do to break through. And so that's why I'm stopping my sermon right now just to pray. And to say, Jesus, be exalted. Open our eyes and ears. Help us to understand. Help us not to miss out on how important this word is. That none of us was created to walk through life alone. That none of us was created to live a small life. Just make money, have a job, and then die. That every one of us was created for influence. And I pray that nobody in this church will miss this. That's what, that's what I'm praying, Lord. Nobody in this church will miss this word. I want to ask the team on the back. There's a video of a discipleship group. Uh, by the way, I'm not done with the sermon. That was an interlude. It's called a prelude. Uh, just play the video if you can play it. Just so that we can hear it. Hi, my name is Janet Zalani Meshulam. And my name is Benny Meshulam. We, we are the founders of Zion DG and we are also the Kitengena Zono pastors. We grew to 20 and because it was time for us to multiply, being the Zono pastors, Benny and I, we handed over to the parties. Our joining Zion DG is testament to the power of visitation and invitation. We joined Zion DG because um, last year, 2022, I was in hospital, admitted, and my husband called uh, Pastor Zilani and Pastor Nashulam to let them know that I was unwell and they came to visit. They asked us that just before they left, I knew I was And we were not. We found a family. We were able to feel a sense of belonging. We walked through the streets of Mavuno now and we knew so many people because we belonged to the family. The time had come for us to grow, to multiply. I took on the challenge and I was given three members to go with. The three members have now since, uh, it was October when I was given the three members, they have since uh, multiplied to ten members. And how that happened was I happened to be facilitating in there. And uh, during the layer class, I asked um, some of the people in my group who was living in Kitengela and uh, whether they were in a DG. Some were not in a DG. And I invited them to join my duty. That's how we multiply to 10. And uh, we're getting on the real good. I think then the DA, I met Pastor Zilani during the crossover party. That's when she welcomed me to the Zion view. At that time, I was going through a tough time. I was unemployed and didn't have a job. I shared my problem with her, where she shared her information with Zion DJ. Then Pastor Zilani saw the person that I cared for. Chef, then she advised me to start a business or to start a club uh, whereby I, my first checkbook came from Victoria, a member of our DG also. My first clients also were my DG members, those were the classes and the Victoria children. I always look forward to meeting my Zion members because of the love and the encouragement that they get. Join the discipleship group near you! Wow. So, I don't know if you got the story, but this group started with very few people, and the, the couples that were sharing, or the individuals that were sharing, were people who've now started their own groups. And this was actually shot at a party, an extended family gathering, when I think three or four groups that actually have started as one group have all multiplied and have grown. The beautiful thing about a discipleship group, it becomes a place of nurture, it becomes a place of care, but also becomes a place of growth. 
because I know some of those people, a year ago, uh, they were not in a group, and now they're leading a group. I know people who were shocked that they could lead, and their groups are multiplying, and their influence spiritually is multiplying in the process. But one of the things I love about the group, about a discipleship group, is that's where you find those people. Remember we asked the question earlier about who are the people who show up for you but nobody else does. So I want to end with a story. After my dad's funeral, it took about, a, maybe about a week later. It was just a tough time. But um, well, maybe it was two weeks. I took some friends of mine to show them with my wife, took them to show them our uh, farm. Now, I, I need to say at the funeral, one of the crazy things that happened is, and my brother can testify, my discipleship group just swooped in. And some of you have had this experience where your discipleship group is the one that just showed up when you needed. I remember that we came from my, uh, when my dad passed and we showed up at home. And that morning we didn't want to tell anyone because you just want to first take it in. And then at one o'clock, it was on a Saturday, we started calling people. Start with relatives, then friends. By four o'clock, all my discipleship group, I didn't ask them to come. I didn't even call them personally. All of them were in my father's house. And the crazy thing is, from that day, Saturday, until the Friday when the barrio happened, they were there every day. Every single day. You know, it's funny because when you're a pastor, you're used to serving people and blessing them. It felt so strange to be the one being, being blessed. Uh, they took over the committee. Uh, you know, every family has those committee members. You know, those people who are called chairman, Sijui, treasurer. Everybody in the family, even when they enter, say chairman, because you know there's a function, this chairman. By the time our chairman showed up, the guy who's usually our chairman, already there was one of our people, Pastor Milton was already the chairman. Had already taken over. There was no other chairman, he took over. And by the time our family members sat, and they were now hearing the conversation, the Mavuno family had taken over. And they ran it like... It, it ran like a production. I mean, they ran that funeral until our people were like, who are these people? I was so proud of my DG. Uh, and the, the, the way that they inputted and blessed us as a family. But now, I'm, fast forward, a couple of weeks later, I'm taking some friends to the farm. And uh, we're showing them around. And then for the first time in my life, this had ever happened. We had some two guys who robbed us at gunpoint. Like in your farm. Who robs you in their farm? Things are thick when people rob you in shags, you know. So, with a gun. And they told us, lie down. And we lay down. And they took our phones. Uh, fortunately, nowadays, you don't carry money with you. So, they took all the phones. In fact, one of our visitors had three phones. Those people who carry multiple phones, they all went. And we're left there. Like, we're about, like, four, five of us. Like, completely bewildered. When it happens, you're just left bewildered. Then they took off. In fact, uh, some, somebody tried to chase them and they shot in the air. So he realized it's not a toy gun, it's a real gun. And uh, as they did that, uh, we're left shaken. Then somebody even drove up. And he had had the shot. Was somebody who was a neighbor, kind of knew us. So he showed up and said, Pastor, what can I do for you? And I thought, I need to tell someone. So I asked him, give me your phone. And he gave me his phone. And then I realized what modern people have realized. I only know one phone number. Off head. And it's my wife's. And her phone has been stolen and she's there with me. And I just looked at the phone. I told the rest, does anybody know any numbers? And there were couples. So they were like, so we gave him his phone. We told him, it's okay, we are fine. Like seriously, we couldn't even, we are so confused. 
So we went to Ngong uh, Station, because that's where the farm is, and went to the DCI uh, headquarters. We reported the crime. Uh, those guys, I mean, bureaucracy, it takes a long time. You're doing your report. It takes hours. And you're just sitting there, and you're confused. And then the, the cop said, you need to actually, I need to take uh, half of you, or a couple of you need to take me to the scene of the crime so we do an investigation. And I panicked. Because at that point, I'm thinking, I don't have a phone. I don't know anyone to call. The only people I know who know are here. Then you separate us, and we don't even know who to call. <laughs> like all this time, we haven't called anyone. And I'm like, then you separate us, and then what happens? Because I'm already at that point, like thinking, we could go and get stuck. There's traffic. There's, you know. So at that point, as I'm holding my head, I walk out of the police station. And what do I see? I see Trish. Trish is Pastor Milton's car. And we call her Trish fondly in our discipleship group. He's in my discipleship group. And I'm like, like, you know how you feel like, what? The last person I'm expecting to see is a member of my DG. And he drives up and he tells me, oh my God, I'm so glad I found you. I've been looking all over Ngong. When I heard that this happened, somebody had told him. I think the, uh, one of the people who had heard had called someone who called someone who called him. And he said, I was in Eastlands. I was about to enter into a service somewhere. When I got your text, I just said, stop everything. And he drove all the way from Eastlands to Ngong. And he said, this is the fourth police station I've come to. And I'm so glad I found Like it was, it, I'm walking out of the cops and he's driving up. Can you imagine? You just feel like God loves you. I remember I almost cried. I hugged him. This was That's how men cry, by the way. That's like wailing, eh? And then I told him, Sawa, now at least I'm with you. Uh, I told him, you stay with my wife. Because now I was also like, how do, you, how do I leave my wife? She has no phone. So I was like, you stay with my wife. Help her. Because now that's why I'd been panicking. I was feeling like I can't leave my wife here. And I got into the cop car. And we started driving back to the scene of the crime. And as we're somewhere on the road, I just saw like the movies. I saw a car doing a U-turn behind us and start to follow us. And I, I looked and I was like, oh my God, who's that? I was a bit worried, but then I was like, I'm with cops in the car. So I'm okay. <laughs> if things go down, these guys I even know are armed, so we are fine. So we went and got into the farm and we came out of the car and that car pulled up behind us. It was Pastor James. He's also a member of my DG. And he told me he was actually out in Athi River. And he was about to pick his children from school. And then he saw the text. Pastor Milton texted him and told him, Pastor M is in trouble. Stop everything. Let's go rescue him. He's in Gong somewhere. Can you imagine? That's the direction. He's in Gong somewhere. This is about rush hour on a weekday and you're picking your kids in, uh, in Athi River. And so he called an Uber, told them, pick my kids. And from Athi River, he drove all the way to Gong, not knowing where he was going. He was just driving. And then as he was driving, praying, he saw my car. And he's the guy who did that U-turn, the movie U-turn. Because that's the only way. He didn't want to lose me. And he didn't know where I was going. And he followed me until where we were going. And because now I had his phone, and Pastor Caro had Pastor Milton's phone, we were able to coordinate. And God saved what could have been a really bad situation for us. Because now they were able to remind us of people's numbers. We could start telling people we are okay. Because the panic had gone out. Some people had heard and there was a lot of panic. And I remember that day thinking, my goodness, there are people who would stop picking a child in school for me. Let me tell you this. People don't do that for pastors. They don't do that because we are pastors. So you noticed how when I asked about who 
Nini Pastor Pastor, how many hands came up, Pastor Jade? Well, I hope you are looking. Pastor Jade got feelings, by the way, with me, like me. But you know, imagine people don't just stop because you're a pastor. People stop because you're part of their family. That day I understood how important it is to have a family. You need a family. You need people who will stop for you. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, there were only these ones around him. When he was weeping, these are the ones who could see him in his hardest trial. You need people like those. But more importantly, and even more, or rather just as importantly, you need people who will help you become everything that God created you to be. And so I want to pray for us. Remember, your first invitation is to faith. If you've never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to know him. You will never know your purpose until you know your purpose giver. This is the most important thing I can tell you today. Don't wait for the day you die to give your life to Jesus. You're wasting your life. You are created for a life of impact. And so if you're here, you've never accepted the invitation to faith. I want to pray for you today because I believe this is the most important thing you can do today. But there are some of you who are not in a, in a discipleship group. You're not in a family of people who care for you. You're not in a place where people are pouring into you and helping you grow, where there's a discipler, somebody who's responsible for you spiritually. And today, if you've not, you're not in that group, I want to give you a chance to sign up for a discipleship group. Oh my goodness, my prayer for you is that you will not walk through life alone. None of us was created to walk through life alone. Every one of us was created to have people who help us become everything that God wanted us to become. So that's my, my, my second group that I want to pray for. And then maybe there's some of you who are here and you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've even been in a group for a long time. At this point, maybe you've even one of those people who you've been at Mavuno long enough and you're even wondering, how do I grow in my faith? You've even gotten to a place where you're even stuck because it's like you're doing the same things you're doing last year and the year before. And my encouragement and my call to you, would you consider even saying, I can lead a group. I'm ready to lead a discipleship group. I was not just born to create, to receive services. I'm also here to be a blessing. I'm here to stretch the family. I'm here to grow my own spiritual family. And maybe for some of you, this is a message that God, I believe that God is speaking to us at three different levels today. And maybe that's a message that God has for you. So I want to just pray for us as we conclude. And next week, we'll talk about the third invitation. It's one that I'm really excited about. But today, I want to just pray about those three categories. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And again, uh, like I said, this is the thing I never understood. I didn't understand how important a decision this was for me. Maybe you're here, you've never made that decision because you've never understood it. But today for the first time, you're like, Pastor, I get it. I understand why I need to follow this Jesus. I, I understand why I must give him my life. And I want to give you an opportunity to do just that in this service today. Uh, by the way, there are many in this room who've made that decision. And as you do that, you'll be joining a family of people who, have under, who are walking towards that journey of purpose. If you're here and maybe you knew God, but you walked away from him, maybe you were disillusioned, you went through difficult times, you found that you were not supported the way you thought you, you would be, and you walked away from your faith, and maybe you've not, right now, if when you're honest with yourself, you're not really walking with Jesus, I'd also want to give you a chance to come back and enter this journey of faith again. Listen, the Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up each time. And maybe this is you, that right now you're in a place where you're not walking with God, but God is calling you back into that life of faith. And I want to pray for you. So if this is you, I'm going to ask you to just do a brave thing. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and then put it down again. 
because I'd love to pray for you. I just want to know where you are so I can pray for you. Uh, if you're at that place, you've never given your life to Jesus, but today you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. It would be such a joy for me to pray for you. Uh, or maybe you're at that place where you walked with him, but you're not right now. And you're like, Pastor, pray for me. I would love to pray for you. Anybody who's here who's saying, Pastor, pray for me today. I'm glad I came to church. I'm glad I listened to this message. I'm here for, for you to pray for me. And by the way, don't be intimidated by your neighbors. This is not a church where we worry about what people think. Uh, we are a church of real people. And all of us have real issues. And by the way, the people around you have even more real issues than you can imagine. And so don't be intimidated by them. You're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I would love to give my life to Jesus today. Anybody who's here, it would be my joy to pray for you. Any man, any woman who's saying, I want to be man enough. I don't want to be afraid anymore. I want to live for the thing I was created for. I don't want to exist. I don't want to waste my life. I want to live a life of purpose. You can just raise it up and then put it down again. It would be my joy to pray for you. Anybody who's here, uh, just put it up and then put it down again. Bless the Lord. Anybody? Just going to give another minute. By the way, I don't do this to embarrass anyone. Um, never done that. It's just because I know someone gave me an opportunity. And if they hadn't, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't know God like I do. I wouldn't be walking the purpose that I'm walking in. I wouldn't have lived the life that I'm living if I'd not known who my maker was, if I'd not given my life to him. Someone gave me an opportunity and I'm here to give you an opportunity today. Anybody who's here says, Pastor, pray for me. Thank you, my brother. I see your hand. To God be the glory. Let's appreciate that young man. Anybody else? They're saying, Pastor, just pray for me. Pray for me. You know, it's interesting. It's the most important invitation you can ever accept in your life. There's nothing more important. And I wouldn't be surprised if the only purpose I came today was to help embarrassing anyone. It really is about my life becoming what it was created for. So that's why you've seen me take a little moment. I know my time is done, but I really want to not miss anyone out who needs to make this decision. Anybody who will join those two right now and just make this decision, the most important decision you can ever make with your life. I bless God for those who've already put up their hands, but maybe there's somebody else who will join them and say, Pastor M, pray for me. Wow. Can we just appreciate those who've raised their hands already? We're so excited. The Bible says that there's joy in heaven when one person comes back to their father. Mavuno South, you can do better than that. Come on, let's just give them a cheer. Welcome them home. Bless the Lord for you. It's such a big thing you've done and we want to celebrate you. Now, I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not doing this in any way to embarrass you, but I want to just celebrate you. I would love to give you a hug and welcome you into the family. So if you put up your hand, please come up. I just want to give you a hug as a, a, a father hug and welcome you to the family. Uh, on behalf of the rest of the church. Please come. It's not to embarrass you in any way, but just come. Let's appreciate them as they come. And anybody else who wants to make that decision, please join them right now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. just uh, stretch out your hands right now because we are blessing them as a family. We are celebrating them. Uh, this family celebrates you, by the way. We are so excited for you. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you just put out your hands in front of you. As a, as, as a... And everybody just say this prayer with them. Dear Jesus, I come today to you to give you my life. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. If you just say these words. Forgive my sins, come into my life, and make me everything you want me to be. 
I am your child and you are my father. I am saved. I'm going to ask you to do something really radical now. I'm going to ask you to point to the sky. Just point to the sky, one finger. And everybody join them in pointing to the sky and say after me, Devil, from this day forward, you and me are done. You have no claim on or hold on me because I belong to Jesus. My whole life is protected and I will live the purpose that God created me for. So depart from me and from my family and from everything that belongs to me. I command you to go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We bless God for you. Pastor Jade, if you just help me give a hug there. Somebody give the brother a hug as well. Let's just welcome them into the family. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Welcome them into the family. We bless God for you guys. We're so proud. By the way, if you want to make that decision, oh, follow. Okay, Josephine is going to kind of give, take your contacts and just uh, be able to help you uh, know what the next step is. Thank you so much. I want to pray for anybody here who's saying, Pastor, I'd like to join. I can see I need, we as a family, or I need to be in a discipleship group. I've not been in a group before for different reasons, but I finally get it. And if this is you, I want to just pray for you. And I want to encourage you, by the way, after I pray this prayer, please sign up. We have a sign-up sheet. would love to place you in a group and help you just begin to walk. Be challenged and they will be propelled to become the people they were created to be. That Lord, not just in the physical world, but in the spiritual world as well. They will be giants and they will succeed in everything that you created them for. And so I just speak over you. If this is you, may the Lord bless you as you enter that group. May you become everything God created you to be. May we celebrate you and your story as we see what God does through your life. Lord, I also want to pray for those here who've been in groups before, but for the first time have understood this is why I must also grow and start my own group. They've understood that this is not just a church structure. This is actually a spiritual structure that God himself ordained the church to be a family. And they've understood I will never grow unless I also lead others who lead others. This is how families grow. And I want to pray that, Lord, many who are here in this church, having heard this word, will say to their pastors, I'm ready. I want to be that person. And by the way, if you're here as well as you hear me pray, if this is you, please indicate at the back as well and say, you know what? I actually would like to be trained. I'd like to lead a group. I feel like I have something I can be a blessing to others if somebody would direct me. And so, Father, we thank you for this service, this time of gathering, this family. I pray that, Lord, even as we go back home, that, Lord, this word would ring in our minds. That, Father God, we would be a family for one another. That church is not a place you go to, it's a people you belong to. I pray that, Lord, every single one of us, Lord, will be part of a vital, strong spiritual family that would help us to become everything you want us to be. And so I want to bless you, God's people. Could I bless you now? Let me invite you to stand to your feet as I bless you. Receive God's blessing as we enter into the week which is what we live for. You know, it's interesting because when we think of church as service, we come to worship and then we receive church. But actually, church is equipping for the world. So right now, as you go out into the world, I want to give you the blessing for this week. Father, I speak blessing over your sons and daughters. I speak blessing over the work of their hands. I speak blessing over every concern that they have everything right now some of them right now as they're looking at the closing of the year they have so many priorities 
and so many things that are clamoring for attention. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the mind of Christ, that they'll be able to divide the urgent from the important and know the decisions to make this week, that this week will end in victory. I pray, Lord, recognizing that because they're your sons and daughters in your family, that there's an enemy who does not want them to succeed. But Father, right now I speak the fire of God against the enemy of God in their families in Jesus' name. I declare that you are protected as you go to your homes. I declare that this week in whatever you do, you will see the Lord's favor. I declare that no politics or divination shall stand against you. That wherever you go, you will prosper. Like Daniel in the Bible, even if people conspire, that God himself will elevate you. And so Father, bless your children, protect your children, cover your children, give them grace in everything they do. And I pray that Lord, when we meet the next time, it will be with celebration. As our families meet to gather as discipleship groups, it will just be celebration. Look what the Lord has done. And so I bless you God's people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people say it together. Come on somebody, give glory to Jesus. Amen.